Um, it's so good to see uh, so many new faces. I'm really delighted to have you. I know some are Ben's friends that are here, but I know we have a number of other uh, friends. We have Sarah's friends. We have uh, a few other uh, uh, newcomers. So, uh, church, I hope you will make our, our new friends feel, feel welcome. For those of you who are new, we're going through the book of Genesis. Uh, a, a little mini review. We're still early on, um, but really the focus so far that we've learned is that the Creator God has created all of nature to be a theater to showcase His goodness as a glorious King. Now, not only all of nature, but as we've learned, um, even humanity's own own being, being made in the image of God, so body and soul, bearing the image of God. Now, last week we heard of how all responsibility, all of our responsibility, all of our work, our rest, all of it is to call us back to God himself. And particularly, we learned of the law, this one particular command that we might learn to be put under God, that we might keep our place under him. Now, this Sunday, more clearly, that all relationships as well are going to showcase his goodness, particularly that of marriage particularly that of marriage. So in light of that, I will invite my bride uh, this morning to read God's word to us. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature that was its name the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field but for adam there was not found a helper fit for him so the lord god caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, you've given us your holy word that we might be your holy people. Set us apart. Use this word to transform us that we might behold the glorious news that is before us and we might live in light of this good news. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is another nagging question, and the question is, who is my companion? Who is my companion? You know, from as early as 
primary school days, we're on the playground, we're walking in class, and we're asking, who's going to be my friend? To those challenging years, 20s, 30s, wondering, do I have a companion that will stick with me through thick and thin? Who I can call my own? To the elderly, we all ask it, no matter what the season is, we're all curious and we're all wondering, who is my companion? Now, I have a friend who went to university and overseas, and he found himself very alone in a deep sense of, of loneliness. And in that loneliness, some church friends would invite him to church. He wasn't a believer at the time. And he would begin coming to church events, and his eyes would be open to the depth of community that existed in this world through the church. And he was profoundly impacted, and he would come to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And along with that, he would meet a companion who would stay with him and would... who who would profoundly change his understanding of himself, of his understanding of God and his great love. We're all hardwired for companionship. And what's amazing is we have a God who arranges companions. He arranges companionship that's what he does. That is his business. He arranges marriages, yes. But he is constantly, every day, all throughout the world, all throughout history, been a rather successful arranger of companionship, friendship, and most notably marriage. And as he grants to his creatures this experience of companionship, we actually learn. We learn what is most basic to our humanity. We also learn what is most basic to our relationship with God himself. Now, some of you may be introverts. Some of you, your dream holiday is actually to be alone, and that's okay. That's all right. Um, but even the most intense introvert, going a week, going a month in isolation, okay, maybe some of you can still do that, right? But what we're going to see today from the scriptures is that that's not what we were designed for, not isolation. We were designed for companionship, and because we all need help, actually, God is going to show us. He's going to tangibly show Adam. He's going to show him the problem. He's going to show us the lack, that there's something not complete. And as the Lord God, the promise-keeping God, the covenant-keeping God, he is going to train all of us and help us 
to see something rather beautiful, something very life-giving that we would otherwise miss. And so today we need to see God's high value of companionship. We need to see it all around you. <laughs> Our companions that God has provided. This is his gift, but especially, most notably, let's say, see in the creation of the woman, male and female, together. As we understand and see our need for a companionship broadly, we will learn and see the value of covenant marriage, of covenant marriage. God has designed to take us deeper, deeper than maybe we could have ever thought to go through this gift of marriage. And as we experience all of this, the covenant king is going to show for us very visibly, very tangibly, that all of our senses might see and experience more of his great love. That's what he wants for us. So then we think about the ultimate who of companionship. Well, it is our creator. And once we set that right, all things will flow into place. The rewards are profound. First, the value of companionship, verses 18 to 23. Now, verse 18 should, should really hit the reader. If you've been following with us through the book of Genesis, it should really kind of be like a jolt in your system as you read it. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So far, we've just had, it is good, it is good, it is good, six times. And now this is the first negative like this, and the language is rather emphatic. It's not just there's a lack. No, there's a significant deficiency, which is rather hard if you've been tracking. Adam is in paradise. What could be lacking? He's got it all. But what is missing is a companion the right kind of companion. And actually, this is easy to conceive of. This is easy to understand because God is a communal God. We've even seen it in our passage. The plural God who is singular one. And we being made in his image, that non-solitary God will create image bearers who are not intended to be Solitary. But also, I believe from the context of this passage, um, there is a lack of a partner who will serve with and help with the work of obeying God. Verse 15 and 16. There is a design in God, in God's design, that they will share responsibility, that they will work and keep, that they will serve and obey. They will live under God by not eating of the tree, that tree symbolizing a path of independence from God. So the solution is, I will make him a helper fit for him. Woman. I will make a helper. 
Now, some have read this and found this rather demeaning to women, um, but they have majorly misunderstood. If we were to take a long time, it would be this would be a wonderful long Bible study, but we're not going to do it for another time. But this word helper in Hebrew is the word azer and is almost always used of God. 16 out of 19 times. Like the psalmist, one of those favorite verses, that God is a very present help in trouble. Another psalmist speaks of God as the helper, the upholder of my life, the helper who comforts me, the helper when there was no one else to help me. The, we see through the Psalms that God is a nurturing God, a caring God, that this word depicts that kind of nurturing, caring dynamic of God himself. But then we move closer to our passage, places like Deuteronomy, we hear God called the shield of my help. In the context of the deliverance out of Egypt, God is going to be called the one who delivered by his strong arm, by his strength, and would protect them through the wilderness. This is an honorable task to be a helper like God. There is strength. So this partner will help him and work in the ground, keeping God's commands. And then God does something I believe very humorous in verse 19. As uh, one commentator put it, to prepare the needy bachelor, God initiated an awareness program. An awareness program. Step one of the program is this. Uh, let's bring all the beasts, all right, who are also made from the ground, by the way. Um, they're, they're connected to Adam. He has, some, he has some close resemblance to those animals, those cows, those kids who love cows. Yes, we have. We do have uh, some, some commonalities with cows. We're made by the same creator. Yes, so he brings those beasts all in front of him. Step two of the program is have him name the animals. Showing his authority over these animals. Um, now, we should understand, I think when we read this passage, we think it was kind of random. Like, oh, that's a chimpanzee, maybe. Um, that's a... No, we need to understand Hebrew naming is a big deal. Hebrew naming, he would, have, he would have known the characteristics of this animal. He would have known the physical characteristics. He would have gotten to know the way of the animal. And he would have intelligently named these animals. Very important, as he would have tried to make a good fit. Now, step three, let him really feel and see the lack. Okay, so there he is. It's not just one monkey. Oh, it's monkeys. Hmm. Um, they're all grouped together in these kind of species, and, you know, he's hanging out, and there's the cow. Some of you may like cows. You come to outside my neighborhood. We got cows roaming outside on the streets. Very interesting. Um, but there he is. You can imagine, you know, hanging out with the cow and mm, 
you know, it's just a little awkward. It's just a little weird. There's something missing, right, kids? You get this. There's something missing. Adam was being taught to really feel the void. In the verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now fit for him in a very deep way, right? Physically not fit for him. Intellectually not fit for him. Socially not fit for him. Morally, emotionally, spiritually not fit for him. Yet as we've seen throughout this creation narrative, where there is emptiness, where there is a void, God fills it. That's exactly what he does. Now, some of you may feel that void right now. You're feeling that lack of companionship. Well, guess what? You are not alone. You are not alone. So Adam is going to be put in a deep sleep. Verse 21. Uh, is this literal surgery? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, but as we've seen, oftentimes you have, you have physical and literal. That's also yet symbolic. Could be. Some seek to say this is only symbolic. Okay, you know, have it your way. <laughs> but I believe that we can see very clearly that God is proving a point by Adam going to sleep, by having him be in a deep sleep. It's that God is going to do this work, and man is just simply going to be the recipient of God's good, gracious work to him. And as one put it, it's going to make man simply just be able to revere God's work as an accomplished fact. He did it. It's done. Adam had no part now, this might sound like a rather strange creation story. You've taken a, one rib for, from a man, you know, sounds a little crazy, a little sci-fi. Don't worry, men. I think we all have the same amount of ribs, okay? So if that was literal, it was just for Adam. Um, you're still in one place. But I think however you take this, it's supernatural. God is communicating his supernatural work. I believe it could have been literal. All of this, the whole passage is God displaying his power. And symbolically, he's showing something beautiful. That woman is the other side of man. Now, we, do, we say this in, in couples. I say, this is my better half. You should know that. That is my better half, by the way. We're made in the image of God, male and female. We need one another. Now, I love how Matthew Henry uh, puts this. Uh, this is a, a famous quote, and I, I must share it with you. He said this, God did not make the woman out of his head to rule over her, or to rule over him, nor out of his feet to trample by him but out of his side to be equal, under his arm to be protected, and near to his heart to be beloved. Man is profoundly connected 
to woman. Just as we saw, man is connected to the ground, but in a more glorious and a more amazing way, he is connected to woman. It's very interesting. We are very different. For those of you who are married and married know how different men men and women are. Maybe you weren't educated before. Just get married and you will discover men and women are very different. But we're also alike. That's why we enjoy companionship all through this room. We enjoy companionship regularly. And then I love this part. Then God, like the father of a bride, is going to present her to him. Of course, in that, that time period, arranged marriage was very normal here. God is the arranger of marriage, as he always is. And man, as he, as he first comes to sight of this woman, we have the first words recorded in human history. And notice, it is joyful poetry. And if you could read Hebrew, you'd say, okay, a ton of poetry here. Very eloquent. Verse 23, at last, at last. Maybe some of you have felt that on your wedding day. Finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. English equivalent might be, we'd say, you know, hey, we're blood relatives, right? We're blood relatives is how we put it. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But here's what's striking about this, right? It's only until he encounters the woman does he actually come to a deeper recognition of himself. Bone of my bone. He's now starting to actually understand more of who he is. As one beautifully put it, the self, the I, discovers itself in greeting another. It's a little deep. Deep thoughts. Now, it ends with the man naming the woman. Again, the name indicating an authority, particularly highlighting that in the family structure, which is the context. But then we have this play on words at the end of verse 23. She shall be called Isha because she was taken from Ish. And this beautiful play on words is celebrating their relationship and as again one has put it adam restated his his own name embedded in hers adam's anticipating the companionship the deepest level of intimacy in this moment he's seeing it he's seeing what is to come he's seeing the goodness of what god has provided before Adam's own eyes, he is going to see the companionship in which God has designed for him. And it is going to be his training ground to teach him the companionship in which he was made for his creator. So friends, in your desire for companionship, I want you to first notice the who around you, the who of companionship question. Men, notice your sisters. Treat them like sisters. They are very close to you. They are like you. This is very important. 
They should be valued. This is a gift from God. I was really refreshed this morning. Han Ming was praying. We were having our corporate prayer meeting, 9.30, every first Sunday of the month. And um, he, oh no, excuse me, this was Saturday. Um, Saturday, we're having our DC meeting and we're praying for the women's ministry. And he, he prays something like this. We could not lead this church without our women. Very profound prayer. But man, is this our understanding that we need our sisters? That we need them, it should be. Praise the Lord, I believe that it's the spirit of this congregation. Uh, I have a number of testimonies I could share with you, but just the fact that there is friendship, there is serving together all over the Throughout this church, there is delight and joy in our companionship. Uh, but I'll just share with you one memory. A lady came to our church, and, and she came to the back of our, of our old building, and there were three men washing dishes. And this lady, she was a newcomer, she was a visitor, she comes up, and she goes, she looks at me and says, Pastor, the men wash the dishes here? What is this? She couldn't believe it. She felt so dignified. Wow, the men work with the women. They don't just say, oh, this is a woman's job. No. They get their hands dirty. This is co-laboring. I love that. I love that story. I tell that story all the time. Because we were made to co-labor together to enjoy a sense of kind of unity. Though we're different, we're to enjoy the fact that we're both made in the image of God. We share the same dignity. We are equal before God. Now, this doesn't mean sameness. Now, this doesn't mean sameness. Now, you should be very aware, especially our, our young people. I won't go long on this, but in our age, there is a profound influence of feminism and of the LGBT movement, which in the name of diversity, interestingly enough, is actually promoting a sameness. It's missing the full picture of the unity and diversity in which God has designed. Biologically different, physiologically different, sociologically different. You can't just change a few hormones and make things different. You can't just have a few surgeries and make things different. We were designed body and soul. This is God's design. But also, we should be very clear that there are different roles. God has made us different. Women will bear children. That is a unique role. That's an incredibly special role. Men have been called to exercise leadership in the home and to exercise the eldership role in the church. Some come to our church and they ask, why don't you have a women's ministry and a men's ministry? Well, we believe that men and women are distinct and they do have distinct needs. Now, you'll notice most of the time, almost in every other sphere, we're all together because we're alike. We're different 
but we are alike. Now, um, if you were to poll, if you were to poll your pastors throughout the world, they would tell you that there is one very common thing happening in our world, and that is a a running from companionship. The fact that you can meet tons of Christians or, or, or professing Christians in the Klang Valley and throughout the world that will tell you that they are Christians, that they do pray silently, but they have nothing, they have no communal prayer. They have no companionship in prayer and no companionship in corporate worship. I would say your average pastor would say that there is something very sad going on, that we have lost this sense of value for companionship. Friends, don't lose it. Don't miss it. God has something beautiful for you. Now, we've spoken of the general value of companionship, but all of this is preparing us and kind of leading us and orienting us to see the value of marriage. Verse 24, therefore, important, therefore, in light of man's aloneness, his need for a helper, in light of the larger goal of glorifying God with his whole life, this responsibility that he's been given, therefore, Something significant, very significant is going to happen. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. A man shall leave, sounds really harsh, really strong. Some prefer the translation forsake. But we know in that society, leave isn't leave. The man actually was the one who stayed home. The woman, yes, she would leave. She would move into her parents' home. But the point is this, leaving, forsaking, the same point is this, that it is relative to the new relationship. Relative to the new relationship, it is actually maybe sometimes going to feel like a painful break. It always is a pain, feels like a painful break. Maybe even in the same home. But there needs to be a deeper closeness. There needs to be a higher priority to this new relationship that God has established. It should not be disrespected. Now, this doesn't mean that those parents of those children who get married, that they should be disrespected or dishonored? Absolutely not. This is a huge theme throughout the Bible, that we honor our parents. So what does the opposite mean now? We leave, prioritizing this higher relationship that now God has granted. This word cleave or hold fast, or stick to. If you read Dr. Leong's book, he says that the language here certainly includes sexual union, consummation of the marriage, physical sexual relationship is important. 
but cleaving means so much more than sex. This holding fast means so much more than sex. It is that they are to live with their whole lives in light of this union, being made one flesh. They are to love and to value and to cherish one another, to continue clinging to one another, even when it gets hard. Even when they want to leave, they cling. They stay together through thick and thin. Now, quickly, how would Israel have understood this in the wilderness? Well, one, just with these two words, to forsake and to cleave, fills the language of their experience on the way to Mount Sinai and following Mount Sinai. It was the language in particular for the legal, personal relationship that they had with their king, the creator God of the universe. Deuteronomy 13, 4. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep, there's our other word from last week, keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve, another verse, word from last week, you shall serve him and here it is, hold fast to him. So even as you receive this gift of covenant marriage, ultimately, it is God that you are going to receive. And in response to that glorious covenant that he has made with you, there is going to be a call that's going to go out, a call of responsibility to live in light of that union to live in light of what God has designed. So in the wilderness, these people who are married are actually going to have this constant representation, this beautiful picture of what it's to be like, what it's intended to be like with them and God. If you go after other gods, it will be terrible. It would be devastating. It will be like cheating on your spouse. The consequences will be miserable. Just as we saw last week. The consequences to leave the Lord of the covenant. Now we come to this final verse, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Literally, I believe literally true. They were naked physically, but but. Deeper still, they were emotionally, spiritually open and honest. There was nothing to hide. They were making themselves to be completely known. They were to, able to know the other completely. They were in the state of innocence, like a little child. They were not ashamed. They weren't insecure. They weren't feeling exposed. They were carefree. There was a lightness. There was a liberty. Physical freedom reflecting a spiritual reality. A freedom that they could have with God. They could be open with Him. They could delight in this covenant bond, both of marriage and of their relationship with God. Friends, do you see the pricelessness of God's design? Do you value covenant marriage? It doesn't matter if you're not married. Now is the time. You could be a young child. Now is the time for you to learn to value marriage. 
You may be a single. You may be a divorcee. This may be a painful topic for you. But let us see the original design. It is for deep companionship. So no matter your situation, you can be a friend to someone who is married and you can encourage that person along. Let me tell you, people need help. We all need help in our marriage. We all need a friend who will get behind us and be committed to praying for us to stick with it when it gets hard. Commit to being a friend. Maybe you're in mother-in-law, a father-in-law, commit to being the supporter, the number one supporter of this marriage. Get behind this husband and wife. Seek to free them. Seek to encourage them as they make decisions. Celebrate what God has done and trust that God will provide for you your longings, your desires to be with them but you bless them, you free them. You do not, you do not want to get between what God has put together. Married couples, be a companion. Be a companion. The application is profoundly simple. Some of us would do great just to spend 10 minutes a day just doing one thing, just listening. Just just related, not talking about not getting caught up with the kids, not talking about the kids, not talking about the calendar, the, but just really to sit with one another and say, how are you doing? No, how are you really doing? How are you seeing God at work in your life? How can I be praying for you? This would do well to connect you emotionally, to connect you spiritually, you're married, um, you should be having sex unless there is some health challenges. Um, there's a great tragedy in our world of sexless marriages. It's actually very common, and this should not be. This is a gift from God, and it will actually aid us to be emotionally and spiritually open. It will be a physical sign of a spiritual reality. Well, like creation itself, friends, God is holding before us a living sign, a living sign as we heard in our Ephesians series, this glorious marriage that we experience, it is pointing to Christ and his love for his bride. Here we have been made one with Christ. We have been bound together in love now we're called to respond to that love and hold fast to him, to not waver. So friends, let our marriages be filled with joy, to live in this joyful companionship. Let us reflect the glorious companionship that he has created. Let the gospel deeply impact our marriage, forgiveness, graciousness, so we come back to the question, perhaps many young singles, the question still looms, who is my companion? Well, consider Isaiah 62, 5. Listen to this. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, 
so will your God rejoice over you. There's nothing better than this. Single friends, you're not missing anything. God is our companion. And he loves us and he invites us into one of the most beautiful, matchless relationships in which we can experience under heaven. It's glorious, friends. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, come to him. Come to him. Hold fast to him. Now we already know the end of the story. Um, did Adam and Eve hold fast or did they cheat? Well, you can stay tuned for next week, but until then, let us value companionship, especially let us value marriage. God is going to lead us to that glorious banquet day where we will live eternally, fully enjoying the union with God himself. There they are, Adam and Eve in the garden. Can you just sit with it for a moment? This is paradise. God wants to give us a taste of it even now. As we see and value what he values, let us pray. Our Father, we praise you for this glorious gospel that the Lord Jesus has come to us when we were most empty, lost in our sin. We have been filled. We have been filled with the Holy Spirit. We now have the very life of God dwelling in us. We have been given glorious companionship. We praise you for this. Lord, we pray for those who are continuing to long for friendship, companionship. Lord, we pray for those who are longing for marriage, covenant partner. Lord, we pray that you would provide. Lord, we thank you for this gift, showcasing your love and goodness. In Jesus' name.